We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. I'm Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined by... Simon Howell, that's me. <laughs> How's it going, Simon? Not so bad. We've got video working on both ends of the equation, so trying to i guess recreate the montreal experience uh, luckily though you can't see the squalor in here so i can maintain some of my dignity good times it's uh you know that's what's important right paint a picture in our minds of a splendid uh shall we say chalet in the uh in yes. the mountains that sounds good okay well uh, it, it's it's the ha- the hallowed antechamber of the sound on site hover yacht ah excellent excellent um, so we have a lot of really cool stuff going on this week at the website that I want to mention because it's it's kind of blowing up. I'm really excited about this. We now have, we're covering, I think, 16 different shows. Uh, so from nothing or one or two, I guess, with Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones last year to like 16 now. So it's pretty great. Kath just added on Boardwalk Empire. So that's going to be the, the latest to our list um, along with Jesse doing... Um, Jesse's doing Awkward, and um, James is doing Hell on Wheels. Um, better him than me, I say on that one. But uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, so there's a lot going on. Um, speaking of, we got some great comments last week that I, I wanted to make sure to mention. Thank you guys so much for commenting. We, of course, as I always say, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking or if there's shows that we should be checking out. Um, especially as we come towards the end of the year and we're getting to like the year in review, you know, time around the middle end of December, you know, any shows that you think we should check out before we do the lists, um, please let us know. But we heard, okay, Ricky liked our DVD shelf because I think because we were in person, so there was less lag and stuff, which was fun. Um, and Michael votes for a littlest hobo marathon, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I, <laughs> I heard so much about that when I did my dogs list. I, I'm, I think I'm going to have to break down and watch some, but uh, let's see. Ken left a bunch of suggestions for T-Mac because T-Mac had uh, left a comment last week saying he was looking for some good edgy shows to watch. So I would say T-Mac, go check it out. Ken left a, a lot of great suggestions there, and that was a lot of fun. And he's another one from Chicago, so we had a little uh, bonding moment over our love for the Chicago Bears, who were once again victorious this week. A little revenge after how... We got utterly destroyed by the Lions in our first game against them, and this week it was a little payback, and it was pretty nice. So, uh, anyway, so Ken and I talked a little about that. Then we had Mario, who talked some uh, uh, some Top Chef. He likes Hugh, but he's not so sure he likes Emerald. So, uh, we'll see. You know what we think about that when we get to talking about good uh, about Top Chef. And then he left his thoughts on a Good Wife Happy Ending. Um, so that you know, go ahead and check that out at in the the comment section because that was pretty cool and he thinks that we should check or at least i should check out slings and arrows uh which is a canadian series have you seen slings and arrows oh god not in a very long time 
It's been a while since Canada's produced uh, worthwhile television, as far as I know. Anyways, I'm excited about that one. It's about a Shakespeare company, I guess, having to sell out and do mainstream comedy. So I think that could be fun. Um, and then let's see what on, on Twitter, Keith and I were doing Batman the Animated Series and some Thanksgiving menu planning because we're coming up to American Thanksgiving. I know you had your Canadian Thanksgiving already. Yeah, we. Why? What's taking you so long? I don't know. You got to have a breather in between Halloween and Christmas. I mean, otherwise it's just you know from one they have like two months of Christmas buildup and no thank you. I like to have a little turkey day in between personally, but. I'm American, or can I say? And then Bruce and I bonded over our love of Charlie McDennis because I, I watched that episode twice this week again. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it so much. Um, so that's, of course, always sunny. And then uh, also, I definitely want to mention, we got two iTunes ratings this week. Um, Five-star reviews from uh, listeners Mario and Jean-Pierre. And I, that was, I'm so excited about that. That's so cool. So thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. We need as many uh, ratings as possible. I think our target is 15 comments and, if I'm not mistaken, 7 billion ratings. Yeah, sounds about right. And then, of course, we still have that hanging goal of hate mail, which hasn't happened yet. Um, but I'm okay with not quite meeting that goal yet. I'm I'm good with that. So. Yeah, I've gotten hateful comments on film reviews. And actually, no, I did, I did get one hateful comment on a Breaking Bad review. That was great. See, that's how you know you're uh, creating a strong impression. So Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I, I, the other thing about the, that's going on at the site this week that I wanted to make sure to mention was that I took the last two weeks off of writing columns, what with first driving to Montreal and then coming back from driving from Montreal and getting life back in order. And so I'm getting uh, back on the, the horse this week and I'm writing a, a column looking at the sort of the history of TV funny men and regular looking guys and their incredibly hot sitcom wives. It's been kind of fun to look at the, the history of that over, you know, over television, some of the different notable uh, couples like that. And I, I don't know if it's refreshing that it's always been part of sitcom history, but I mean, at least it's not just a recent issue, but yeah, it's been kind of fun. So that's coming on Wednesday. And of course, there's lots of other great stuff going on on the site too. Um, Soundoutside.org, go ahead and check it out. And leave, like I said, leave us a comment or uh, let us know if there's a show that you'd like us to cover that we aren't doing right now. I know that I feel like we're missing Vampire Diaries and Dexter, but I feel like other than that, we're doing pretty good. I don't know. What do you think? What show should we get next? Uh, I mean, I think we're doing, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, we've been adding them at an insane rate. I'm just hoping that everyone uh, manages to stay on top of it and uh, and be consistent. That's what I'm worried about right now. But uh, <laughs> I, I think we've got a pretty good selection going. It would be nice to get uh, Vampire Diaries, but I, I'm under the impression that's mostly watched by 12-year-old girls. So You might be surprised, actually. The people that I know who watch it are all uh, 20 and 30-something men. So Really? Yeah. Hmm. I hear it's good. I mean, I, 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 I'm making fun, but I keep hearing it that it, actually that it's great. I'm just, there's just something about, there's just, it's just the twilight factor. I just assume that it has a certain amount of, you know. And we know what they say about assuming. It's awesome. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes, I do. This week, we're going to, we're, we're going to change it up a little bit. Um, Cause there's a lot of stuff that I caught up with that, that you didn't have the time to, cause you're doing all this other film stuff. Apparently you see movies, Ugh, whatever. You could be watching yeah, TV. I'm, gonna go see, I'm actually going to go see Immortals today. Yeah. Oh, well, have fun. I love the fall, but. I don't know. Yeah, I'm making that face as well. 
<laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, this week I'm going to kind of do a quick Kate's rundown and go through the shows that I just watched and then hopefully get some of these out of the way so that we can spend more time discussing the shows that we both watched. So um, yes. in that vein, I will go ahead and kick it off with on Tuesday, uh, NCIS. This was a suggestion by Sean from the Zero Pretension podcast because he's an NCIS fan and uh, apparently this was one of the best of the season. So I figured, you know, it's been a while since I watched him NCIS, might as well check it out. And I thought it was solid, I thought it was fine, but I wasn't a huge fan. So I think NCIS is just not for me anymore. I think I've just sort of detached from the show. But, you know, it's well it's well acted and the the uh, it's stylish. And what it does, it does very well. So I can see why people liked it, but I don't know. It's just not really, not really for me, I don't think. On Thursday, I also caught the most recent episode of Bones. And I'm very sad I did because it was incredibly annoying. They introduced an intern character who is 18 years old and spent three years in juvie, but in he gra graduated from high school and college, head of his class, his degree that he got while in juvie, and he's from the South. And he's a proper Southern gentleman who says uh, things like, I gotta stay on the, the straight and narrow, and uh, yeah, and calls everyone ma'am, and it's just, all of these, what's that? Like, cut me off at the knees and call me shorty. Things like that. Incredibly annoying. And, of course, you find out that there's a, a question of if he should be at the lab because he his juvie record and there's some... His stepfather, who he had attacked, um, it has, has gone missing. And now, if there was any possible chance that he had done any of this thing, these things, I would be okay with it. But of course we find out that his stepfather was abusive to both him and his mother. And the reason that stepfather disappeared is because the, he, he threatened him. If he ever came near his mother again, he was going to kill him. And the stepdad didn't know I was, I was, what was he say? I was bluffing. Um, yeah, so it's just incredibly annoying. And the, the rest of the episode was was fine to good. It featured competitive eating and Booth and Brennan, of course, being adorable. And the rest of the cast being just fine. But this new intern character was annoying enough that I wanted to turn off the episode about five minutes in. And the only reason I didn't was because I was watching with my sister. So I that wow. will be my new rule for Bones this season. If I turn it on and Finn is there, I won't watch it. Because dear Lord, dear sweet baby Jesus, oh my God, I was very frustrated at that character. Wow, Bones pulled a poochie. Holy crap. Absolutely. And I'm sure other people will not have as strong of a reaction. I would be fine with him being a, a Southern character. I think that's interesting and can be fun. But just his G-shucks-ness was driving me nuts. So, anyways. Uh, moving on. Then on Friday, Supernatural. It was very... I think it was a very forgettable episode. It was... It, it's strange because it's one that I feel like... I feel like I shouldn't like it. Like, when I was writing my review of it for the site, it was one that when I actually, like, wrote down on paper my thoughts on the episode, I felt like I should have had a negative reaction to it, but I, st I still liked it. It's just sort of... I don't know. Does that ever happen with you, where you write down your thoughts about an episode and you feel like, based on what's on your list, you shouldn't have liked it, but you still somehow did? Well, sometimes with some... Sh I think some shows just have an innate likability, or, or that you, you're just biased towards them, so... You know that even though they've done, they've put out a subpar product, you still basically enjoy it. Is it maybe that? Yeah, maybe it's just because I spent so much time with these characters that there, you know, there are enough small character beats or something that I wouldn't think was funny, except that 
Dean said it or Sam said it or something like that. So maybe that's what it is. They're just coasting maybe and and you and, and that's sometimes fine. Well, and also they have a tendency on Supernatural to get angsty and this episode wasn't. And so I I appreciated that. So the main thing for me was that it didn't commit to a tone as strongly as I would have liked, but anyways, my like I said my reviews up on the website and so if you're looking for a more in-depth discussion and there's some comments there too, you can check that out. Um, then on Sunday, uh, there was an episode, of course, of The Amazing Race, which was phenomenal. I loved this episode. They went to Denmark, to Copenhagen, and had to do traditional Danish dances. And then they had to either guide a bunny through an obstacle course or, uh, and so, like, leaping fences like you'd see with, po like, ponies, of course, but smaller, or horses, but smaller. Or they had to churn butter. And it was... <laughs> Like, yeah, they had to turn, like, six giant pad pads of butter worth. And it was hilarious because almost all of them immediately went for the butter. And I'm like, have none of you ever tried to churn butter before? Like, gone to a farm or, like, a, some school trip where they have you see what, you know, rural life was like? Because churning butter is hard. It's not easy, yeah. Oh, my goodness. But and, and I thought it was so hilarious to watch the um, the Americans come in, even these like burly guys and just get their ass handed to them by the butter and to watch the like the, the people who work there and turn butter all the time, just laugh their asses off. These, you know, these women with these just giant forearms. It was hilarious. And if you've ever seen Last Tango in Paris, you'll know that getting your ass handed to you by butter is no laughing matter. <laughs> Lovely, lovely. Um, there was also a double U-turn, and the team that I, uh, the team that I, I liked the least, got eliminated. The dad uh, and the son, father-son adventurers, and the dad. He, I mean, he was doing his best to get me to like him this episode, unknowingly by referencing Star Wars and having some quotes and such. But I was like, too late. You're a douchebag. I'm sorry. You do not come off well in this editing. So, so they're gone. But more than anything, this episode just demonstrated how much this current like group of people it's a three horse race and it's really it's a two horse race with a dark horse candidate as well the the snowboarders the chicagoans and the grandparents i mean the grandparents got second place after being u-turned and having to go back and do the second challenge so they did the butter challenge and then they moved on to the next thing and found out they had to go back and do the bunny thing as well and the bunnies were really cute by the way um so <laughs> and, and yet they still came in second place so, because they're just that hardcore. So, I'm, I don't know. And I'm really looking forward to the next episode because I think they're going to be in England. They're going to have to quote some Shakespeare, do some performing, and then they have to do a bodybuilding contest. And they are all, for the most part, in really good shape. And the grandparents are ripped because they they're up there. Like everybody has to be up there in like bikinis and banana banana hammocks and stuff. And so, I don't know. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be hilarious. So. It was a it was a very good amazing race this week. I, I have to say, based on your description of the amazing race, I, I think I may have to watch it next week just because that sounds like it was too awesome. Yeah, seriously, you really should. You should check out this week's episode. Uh, even though I already told you everything that happened, but still, you should check it out. <laughs> and then then you should watch next week's, and then we could talk about it. And it'll be great because I know a yeah. bunch of our listeners like the amazing race because if I get a chance to talk to them about it. I, I, I'm saying it now to the internet, so then I actually have to do it. That's how yeah. I like to do things. Excellent. You are committed. It is too late to, yes. uh, to, to retreat. Let's, let's move into our week in TV. So um, on Wednesday, we both watched Top Chef. So what did you think of this week's episode? Oh, well, you know what? I, I can't wait for Top Chef to start is what I'm <laughs> feeling. What is this? 
two weeks of just auditions, basically. I mean, we did get a pretty gnarly accident out of it uh, in in the form of a cut. Maybe the gnarliest I remember seeing on Top Chef. Yeah, that was pretty hardcore, I gotta say, his reaction to that, and yeah. And then did he even get on? Um, I... You know, I can't even remember. I want to say yes, but... And the fact that you can't remember, I think, is a testament to the fact that I mean, we meet so many people over the course of these two episodes and then three quarters, more than three quarters of them are just gone, mm-hmm. which which kind of feels wrong. I'm, that being said, the sort of extended trailer that was at the end of the episode for the season itself was very tantalizing. I, I felt like, I mean, I, I will go into this next episode, which is, I would say, comparable to the normal first episode, knowing the people much better than after the standard first episode that is true however i feel like they were uh there like you said i don't even necessarily remember who all made it in and who didn't so i bet we are looking forward to the you know the the season really starting this next week i would say yes yeah i'm not sure how i feel about emerald being in the mix i'd much rather have bourdain around but yeah me I too mean, you can't win. you can't win them all though i will say uh, i haven't eaten at any of emerald's restaurants but his Butternut squash and parsnip roasted vegetable soups are a Thanksgiving staple at my house, and they are delicious. So, I he he does know his stuff at least when it comes to recipes. But we'll see what happens with it. Um, let's move on to Thursday. One of the I feel like it's basically two nights of TV at this point, Thursday and Sunday. But on Thursday, of course, we had Community, and I feel like we should talk about briefly the the news. Yeah. Yes, Community is being uh, shuttered for a little while. Uh, at, at, it's getting its season, I guess, cut in half, more or less, and then the second yeah. half is going to come in later. Uh, Prime Suspect, as we sort of long suspected, is getting the axe. Well, I mean, they haven't officially said it, but it's pretty clear that it's it's a goner. Uh, also interesting, still no Awake. Yeah, yeah. Still no date on that sucker. I, I heard that they, they seem to be retooling that one. Yeah, I'm still interested to see what happens with it, considering it is it was one of the highest-reviewed pilots, um, at least the, of the people who got screeners, which we are not amongst those people, but of the people who did get to see all the mid-season pilots, Awake is apparently one of the, the most promising. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But let's let's move back to discussing this episode of Community. What did you think of Annie's apartment and... Shirley and Britta driving Jesus around and karaoke with Jeff and the Dean. Who oh boy. Um, you know, the internet really seemed to love this episode and I felt very out of step this week. I thought this was a really weak episode of community. Frankly, I, I didn't even the, the seal thing at the end, which everyone seemed to be howling with laughter at, I didn't find particularly funny. And I didn't think it, it, I just feel like so much about the show is just stuck in limbo right now and not just its status, you know, on NBC. I mean, I, I like this one. I didn't like it as much as the internet seems to have liked it. Um, I thought it was some of the stuff was really cute. I like the idea of putting Annie in the apartment with Abed and Troy. I think that's a smart move, especially as they look towards where this show could possibly continue after they graduate. So I think that was smart. Um, I, I like to see her get a little more development, and um, I think that'll work well. However, I didn't think that the the Pierce getting high off the fumes thing was particularly entertaining, though I did enjoy Chevy Chase's wig in that scene, which was pretty funny. But I, I would have just enjoyed watching him 
fail to fix the apartment. I think that would have been funnier. Um, I don't know. I thought Brittany and Shirley and Jesus was fun. But as for Jeff and the Dean, I feel like Jeff would quickly decide it would be easier and less work to just show up at Annie's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just everything to me about this episode just felt like the show is spinning its wheels. And it feels like it, even though I've enjoyed some episodes more than others, it it has felt like its characters are kind of stuck for me for quite a while. Well, what did you think to, to move on about this week of Parks and Rec? Because there were some similar things in that it was very much a rehash of this this whole Ben and Leslie situations. Uh, did you have a similar issue with Parks and Rec? Nope. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's just because I enjoy Parks and Rec more. I'm giving it more of an allowance, but I, I this didn't feel like a rehash to me because it, I mean they de- they sort of dealt with Ben and Leslie fallout for the first time directly just last week or was it the week before? Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense that they're still dealing with it. Uh, I mean, it's not something that it's it's a it's a tricky situation and. It was Model UN, so I'm not going to complain. I I, I must say I did love um, April being the moon. (laughs) The moon will go with you. I think the thing that I laughed at the most this week, besides Good Wife, and we'll get to that, may have been uh, Amy Poehler's Danish shout at the end of the episode. (laughs) That was fantastic. (laughs) Oh, good times. Uh, What did you think about Chris giving romance advice from, from Donna and Jerry and Anne? I thought that was all pretty adorable. Yeah, it just it just confirms to me that they're trying to move back towards Chris and Anne together and that they're using Jerry's daughter as a transition. At least that's what it would seem like to me. Yeah. I, it was nice to have a logical reason for her to be with the group, which is, you know, it made sense for her to be in that in that room at least based on these people's priorities. So, um and I also really liked Ron and Tom. I thought that was pretty funny. So, and a nice way to, to, to close out that I like the way that that story ended. And it's nice to have him back in the fold, though. Hopefully we will get some visits from John Ralphio. But uh, still, it was I think it was a, a lot of fun to, to see that dynamic. You had to know he was coming back to the parks office at some point. I, I am hoping they managed to make something out of the Entertainment 720 situation, because that just seems like a lot of story time gone to waste if they haven't uh, progressed Tom's character in some way, despite putting him back in the office. And yes... We absolutely need make John Ralphio an intern or something. We just need him around all the time. I don't. Know, I feel like a little bit goes a long way with him. I don't know that I'd want to see him yeah, around yeah. that frequently, it's, but he could be the new yeah. shoe shinest. I think that could work. Oh, that would be amazing! You need to send that to the to the to the writers' room right away. Just gonna throw that out into the ether and hope uh, somebody yeah. you know picks up on it. Yeah, but I don't know. It's been a solid season. This one didn't wow me the way that some of the other episodes this season have, but. I don't know. I thought it was still fun. What about you? I think they've had a very consistent season, like, and, and that's included not many like dizzying highs. And I, but I think that's also that's sort of a function of the fact that that there there aren't really any relationship crossroads at the moment. Everything is is very much in in place. I mean, we'll have to see where things are going. But I I think they could do some amazing stuff this season if they uh, if they get moving. Speaking of consistent seasons. What did you think of this week's episode of Always Sunny? Uh, I think this this was maybe the least impressive of the season, which is to say it was still funny because they seem to be incapable of doing not funny, even in episodes that I consider really subpar, like the Gang Cracks Liberty Bell, which I know you actually enjoy. This was a sort of thriller-themed episode, so it was cool that they mixed up the they uh, sort of changed up the editing and music style. That it it's nice when they sort of flex their muscles like that just to show that they can. 
you can mix it up with the communities of the world. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the whole setup was was pretty labored. So I, I think they they sort of spent a whole lot of time on that instead of just getting directly to the funny. That being said, I still laughed. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was funny. It was of course it wasn't as good as most of the rest of the season. I would say it wasn't as laugh out loud, but I just sort of enjoyed this episode. I sort of had this the same reaction to this episode as I've had to much of community this year where I'm not necessarily laughing out loud or Parks and Rec too, but I'm enjoying the time spent with these characters. There there were a few uh gags that I did really like. Um I liked all the Indiana Jones talk and I love Dee's Charlie, why does Mac get to hold the button? And like 10 seconds later, Charlie's inside. I thought that was hilarious and perfect. And then just the little tag at the end was, I thought, a lot of fun. Yeah. And you and I talked about this privately, but I'm still wondering, are, when is when are they going to directly tackle Fat Mac? Yeah, I feel like there's only a few episodes left. Um, so I feel like it's got to be coming, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, maybe it's going to be a finale thing where they're, where they're finally going to say, wait a second. I kind of like the idea of them not mentioning it at all. And then just next season, he's back to being ripped again. Though I did, I was watching it with my sister. Um, I watched Charlie McDennis, like I said, twice this week, once with my dad and once with my sister. And uh, we, we were saying, because they had, didn't know that, that Rob McElhaney had gained the weight for the for the show. So there was sort of like a has he put on weight kind of a thing? But if you notice, he's still completely ripped. Like he's got huge arms. And so he's just, he still looks like he's in really great physical strength as far as uh, shape, as far as strength goes. He just has lots of extra fat as well. So <laughs> Which, I, yeah, it's, it's a weird combo. Yeah. Cause he's definitely like, you can see what he's saying in the premiere where he talks about how he's uh, bulking up and he's, you know, cause I don't know. It's it does sound like the sort of logic that Mac would use. So yeah, he he just kind of looks like a like a like a science experiment gone wrong. <laughs> it, it's kind of it reminds me sort of of um, Fat Lee from Battlestar, where he didn't actually gain the weight. They put him in a fat suit, and so he was still like his upper body was all still proportion like the same. He still as built as he had been, but they just stuck like a early pregnancy belly on him or something and some fake jowls. Um, so it looks like a much more realistic version of Fat Lee, but because of course it is realistic. But anyways, um, mm. let's, sorry for the, the detour. Let's transition into Beavis and Butthead. What did you think of this week's return of Cornholio and then drones? Uh, I wait, uh, wait a second. I don't think I got to the drones half. I think I only saw the, uh, the Cornholio half. Yeah, there were two extended oh. episodes this week. Oh my goodness! I yes, I only saw one of them. I was only able to catch the Cornholio episode, which was, I, th I would say, more fitfully amusing than some of the other stuff we've seen this year. I mean, honestly, I could at this point I could go for thirty minutes of them bitching at Teen Mom. I think I would watch that. I would I would watch that for hours. Frankly, I would watch an entire season of Teen Mom with a Beavis and Butthead commentary track. But the actual sort of Cornholio half of the episode was extremely repetitive, and they knew that. But it's still sort of it, it sort of tampered down the funny. Well, and especially if you're going to pick an episode to be an extended one, I don't know. I, I felt the same way about both of these, where I it was sort of, oh, they're still keeping this same joke going. You know, it, it got old pretty quickly, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't watch the show originally, so I don't have that connection to Cornholio and and all of his, uh, you know, his 
uh, mannerisms, as it were. But yeah, it just it stopped being funny pretty quickly. Um, and then it was mm-hmm. 20 minutes long, or I think it was like 14 minutes long. And then Drones was 20 minutes long. So yeah, that Drones was the one where they go into a military base and uh, as a like a a field trip for school and they end up in the the room controlling some drones and they think they're playing grand theft auto or something like that so it was funny but again not i don't think any of the any of the episodes that i've seen since have matched up to the twilight episode in the premiere um and i do think that the funniest bits so far um at least in the past week or two have been the the it's parodying the various um, MTV programs and reality shows and such. So, mm-hmm. Hon- honestly, if they got into a line of MST3K style Beavis and Butthead commentary tracks, I would I would actually spend money on on those. I totally would. Yeah, well, who knows? We'll see if they uh, if they go that route. I could I could see it happening. I mean, I wouldn't have predicted the show would come back. So you know. Well, and and when it happens, Mike Judge, you can send me the check. Now, next uh, on Thursday, or I should say finally on Thursday, we had another episode of Prime Suspect before it gets yanked in a few weeks. Um, what did you think of this one? Uh, this was the episode where um, there was a young child who had been, uh, who had died, and you they're not quite sure if it was an accident or if he had been hit. And so um, Maria Bella, uh, Jane is trying to figure out exactly what happened and when. So what did you think? They have to pull a tricky balancing act this week because, you know, on one hand, Jane's case is really, really dark and heavy. You're dealing with a dead kid and she can barely sort of process it. So they sort of balance that with Brian F. O'Byrne's plot line, which I thought was adorable. I know that's my watchword these days. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he's sort of pining for the uh, pretty young uh, would-be detective. Um, And you just know where that's going and it but it, but I thought it was really deftly handled. Uh, I mean, it's really too bad that the show isn't going anywhere because yeah, I I think they they've really done their best to keep it episodic and keep it accessible. I really don't think that NBC could have done a better job promoting it, or they could have done a better job writing. I'm really perplexed as to why it hasn't picked up an audience. The thing for me is that when I'm watching it, it, it feels more like an old school show it feels more like a a show that i don't know if it feels more realistic if it feels when i'm watching it i'm often going that was really smart that was a good move that was really realistic i love that they didn't do the the cliche or the like the ripped from the headlines thing to do in this scene or that scene but it i also i feel like it's a quiet show there's nothing about mm-hmm. it that demands your attention it doesn't have any particular over-the-top visual flair it it just it seems more it, fe- it feels like a solid show one of those shows where it's like if you watch checking it and the show every week it'll be a good show but it's not flashy and so new viewers mm-hmm. aren't coming to it it doesn't have like a oh this is the show where this cop is has this funny quirk and that's what i yeah. like about it but that because of that i feel like it doesn't hasn't been able to distinguish itself and people haven't, they're not, re- if they're checking it out, they're not returning to it. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perfect example of what you're talking about is the way Timony reacts to this dead kid. I mean, she's upset. Anyone would be upset, but she's not like, she doesn't go on a tear about it. Like, she she doesn't, she doesn't pull a Caruso about it and be like, 
you know nobody should do this to a child like yeah. kind of this browbeating like it's it's she's very level-headed as level-headed about it as someone could be and that was really refreshing well as level-headed about it as someone could be who this is their job this is what they do this is not the first dead kid she's had to deal with and it will not be the last and it very much reminded me of the wire those scenes where we get between maria bello and aceveda uh kirk aceveda where they're uh he's complaining that she stole his case and then, and, uh, so there's a little bit of, oh, you're, you're not going to be sorry when you find out what it is kind of, a, you know, back and forth a little bit at a few points during the episode. And that just feels much more realistic to how a cop would actually react to some having to do totally. this kind of a case than to just turn into an angsty avenging angel. Cause it just, something like that, unfortunately happens too frequently, particularly in like New York or any of these bigger cities for it to be something that the cop gets really self, you know, really righteous about every time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that would just be tiring. It just, you, you wouldn't be able to do it and keep doing the job. That's why if you, like, I referenced SVU, actual police officers are switched off of doing special victims te- uh, cases if they're on that team after two years. Because after two years, either they can't really take it anymore or they're start, you know, they're, it's it, they don't they're taking it too well, and that's not necessarily a good thing either. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought I think I thought it was another really solid episode. I loved the stuff we got of, with her and her sister, and I love that you can explain their entire relationship by the fact that uh, the sister is a vegan, and yes. uh, Timmy really isn't. Um, but I like the smaller moments with them, and I like the 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 interrogation scene between Timothy and the 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 mom. We find out the mom hit the kid um, at the end, and the mom's an alcoholic. I, I don't know. I just thought it was a solid episode. Really good. Yep, it's. I'm I'm gonna be sad. I'm I'm just assuming at this point that it's gone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be sad to see it go. Yeah. Um. Now on on Friday, you caught up with Grim. What did you think? Now you didn't see the second episode, as I understand. Judging by the pilot, I figured we were going pretty episodically, so I figured I'd be fine just uh, watching it this week. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, that, w- that being said, when I say it was fun, I'm saying except for the part when they show you the bee-stung corpse at the beginning, which was terrifying. That has to be one of the scariest things I've ever seen on a on a broadcast network show. Holy crap. Uh, maybe that's just me. But I, uh, I, I have years of experience of watching Bones, so I'm somewhat uh, inoculated against that. But um, I think the way they're developing their mythology is really smart. Uh, you know, the, the, we've got these sort of conflicts just within the world of monsters that seem sort of outside of the world of, of the Grimm, which is really interesting. And I love the uh, the scenes of him. For some reason, stuff like this is usually really boring. But I really like the scenes of him looking up these monsters in his in his trailer and sort of figuring out what they are and how they fit together and the thing with the tongue and lots of nice little details, some some good little quips, which Russell Hornsby is great at. I, I think the show's really kind of taking off, potentially. Yeah, I think it's definitely solid and didn't have the problems that were annoying me that happened towards the end of the pilot where, you know, we kind of threw procedural um, reality out of the window um, so they, it didn't have that, and I think yeah, I think it's solid, but it's definitely not great yet. I think there's a lot of potential. I, of course, I, as a as a Trekkie, I did enjoy seeing Nana Visitor as the Queen Bee Mellifer. Um, she was on Star Trek DS Nine, 
and and she's always fun when she pops up. So I thought that was neat. I liked that there this week it was a much lesser known fairy tale that they were referencing, the Queen Bee. And actually, the the episode had almost nothing to do with the original fairy tale, unlike last week, which was Goldilocks and the Three Bears and had a lot of shout outs to the original fairy tale. But mm-hmm. I like this idea that that I like how how strongly they stress that there are good and bad creatures. And that's something that they mentioned in the second episode, but they stress here too, very much that just because they're a monster doesn't mean that they're bad and doesn't mean that he should go off killing them willy nilly. And I like that they stress that and they stress it so early. And it's not just like a late season revelation where you, you realize that they didn't think about it until later and went, oops. So, yeah. like I said, I think the way they're developing their mythology is really smart. And I, I think I'm just really impressed that they even pulled this episode off at all. Because when I re- when I found out it was a bee themed episode, I was like, "There's no way they're gonna make this tense or interesting," and they did. And that's, uh, I mean, bees aren't scary. I'm sorry, they're just not. And so the, the fact that they made it work is uh, really impressive. I think. Yeah, I'll be interested. We're going to hopefully during some of the hiatuses coming up do a fairy tale um, showdown again and, and check back in, or I mean, I've been keeping up with them, but then you're going to check in with once upon a time in grim, you know, yeah. as we get later into the season and see how they're holding up and, and maybe our opinions will have changed. Cause it seems like we both liked, at least I know I liked the once upon a time pilot better, but we'll see if that's still the case. Yeah, we'll see. Now on Sunday we had, of course, the walking dead, which, we discussed on the walking dead podcast on the site it was a daryl centric episode i liked it a lot you were um mixed Um, i had mixed mixed. feelings ricky uh described himself as confused but he liked it a lot too so uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you put that up i assumed i was the confused one so apparently i was the one who was quote right in ricky's words um but yeah, that was fun. Of I mean, it was a fun episode. We got to spend a lot of time with Daryl, and so we'll see what happens as that moves forward. Now there was also, of course, the Good Wife, and uh, <laughs> my first note I have written down is "LOL, here comes Santa." <laughs> yeah, I was really worried about this episode when I saw the title last week, but then the way they incorporated that title into the episode was sort of genius. This ended up as sort of a Good Wife take on a Christmas episode, which was interesting. This was definitely not the best of the season, but it may have been the funniest, which is strange because so much of the episode revolved around a last-minute death row case, which was definitely the least interesting part of the episode. Uh, especially the way, the sort of the way that it ended was a little bit strange by Good Wife standards, and but by which I mean it seemed to not really end. But um, yeah, I, I think the way that they paired up the gold and Floret kids is really smart, and I love their scenes together. I, I feel like uh, the the younger Floric has really developed as a as a screen presence, and I love uh, um, I love Eli's daughter. She's she's great. Uh, less excited about some other stuff, but we'll get there. What did you think? Um, I liked the episode a lot, and I like like you said, I I love seeing the kids together and. Please let them keep that around for a while. I love. I always love watching Eli get bossed around by his daughter, um, and so I think that was, of course, a lot of fun. And I hate Jackie so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's. I mean, the she actress is, very... is doing. They're writing for her well because you love to hate her. Um, I just kind of wanted to like knock her, reach in the TV and knock her across the head. But um, 
But yeah, anyway, I liked what happened with the death row case. I liked the way that they turned the ending, because I was expecting a similar sappy kind of thing that we got to the last death row case, and it doesn't do that. So that was, uh, that was, that was nice to, to be a little different. And of course, we got to see Hector from Breaking Bad, which was nice. Yes, that was so surreal. <laughs> as a, as a man of the cloth. To see him talking, yeah. I, I think the most frustrating thing for me this week, and I think it's a trend this season, is they just don't seem to be doing anything interesting with Kalinda this this season. And even um, and even Archie Punjabi just seems to be sort of floundering. And did you notice her accent was especially yes. weird this week? Like yes, it usually, it's better with time. It, it it feels like she's not even putting in an effort at this point. And who can blame her? I mean, what are they doing with her? I mean, we, we. I mean, do you really care that much who she wants to bang? Really? I th- I feel like because they have, there's only so much time they can spend with that with in the episode, and there's only so many characters that they can really focus on and do a good job. So, last season and in the first season, a lot of that time went to Kalinda. This season, that time has gone instead to I would say Eli. I would say some of these are the recurring characters, like Lisa Edelstein's character. Um, that have you know shown up more, of course, when they have him, Chris Noth, um, and I, I feel like because of that, our, yeah, Archie Punjabi has just been sort of sidelined with less to do. Um, I think that's okay as long as like I didn't miss her in some of the previous episodes that were really strong that she didn't feature in because as long as it doesn't make sense for her to be in the episode, then I'm fine with her not being in the episode. But when she is in the episode and they're they're not really using her to her full potential, then I notice it more. Well, I just miss her being a badass. If we're talking about characters that they are fleshing out, though, I feel like we got to talk about Madzukri and what they're doing with Carrie, because I think it's great. Yes. I think uh, Madzukri is, wins, I mean, he's always been good, but I feel like he's the most improved from, say, season one. He's really got his character down pat at this point. And his his sort of deadpan semi-comedy is very, very pleasing to watch. I mean, I'm hoping that that Kalinda's newfound proximity to Carrie will actually just sort of by extension make her stuff more interesting just because he's been so great this uh, this season. That's what I'm hoping for. But um, yeah, like I said, main main case stuff this week, not necessarily that interesting, but a very, very funny episode, uh, which seems like a weird thing to say. Uh, but everything with Eli and the candidate was, was great. <laughs> um, for... For for Carrie, for I mean, for me, he was a character that after you know Alicia won the job in the first season, it felt like a stretch to keep him around. But I'm glad to be so wrong with where they've brought the character and the, how well they've developed him. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm all, I'm also weirded out by the fact that he's like 35. <laughs> he does look like... uh, rather young, doesn't he? Boyish charm. Yeah. Um, speaking of boyish charm. Let's go to How I Met Your Mother and uh, Barney. And now this was a very Barney Robin heavy episode. Then, of course, we got to see Ted, Marshall, and Lily going to a palooza of some sort um, and having some sandwiches. So what did you think of of this week's episode? Uh, You know, this was a weird episode for me. Like, sometimes I found it kind of affecting and other times I found it really frustrating the resolution to the sort of Barney and Robin storyline, I mean, not resolution, but in this episode um, was not satisfying, I think in the, but not in the way they intended, particularly Cal Penn's scene when he's sort of explaining that he doesn't want her to tell him what she's going to tell him that he made it sound 
right? Like he he did the scene as be- as best as he could, but that just made no sense to me. Like I'm sorry, that was you're a therapist, and that made no sense. I don't know that that struck me as kind of true to what people some people would say. I mean, I feel like a lot of the times when you see in these shows people talking about how they have to tell somebody something because you have to tell them for that person. Almost always they're telling that person because of themselves and their feelings and they don't want to have to hold on to a secret like that. Of course, it's not healthy. It's not a good thing for relationships and they're clearly doomed to fail because of such such an approach to communication and their relationship, obviously, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, I did think it made sense, especially considering he does say that he loves her and that you know i I don't know i think it made sense Uh, but in the context of of a tv show and particularly this show it just really feels like a device to keep them together longer even though you know that they're not ultimately gonna be together like it's just you're they they're it's just a, a a complicated way of delaying the inevitable yeah i think that they made a real mistake or misstep on on how i met your mother in letting us know that Barney was getting married and started sort of stringing that out as a cliffhanger of who he was going to get married to because it's incredibly obvious to anybody who's watched this show for a while that that's where they're going because he's not going to get serious. If there was anyone that he might theoretically be getting married to instead of Robin, I guess you could say maybe it would be Nora. But at this point, it can't not be gonna Nora. Happen, yeah. Not going to happen. So now it's, what, a third of the way into the season, and we already know how the season is going to end. So now we're just going to have to watch the rest of the season as they manipulate ways to keep Barney and Robin apart so that they can end up being getting married at the end of the... You know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of that. I did think the Nora breakup scene was perfectly done. I, I thought, thought it was excellent, yeah. Great. I thought they were both great. I was, And again, I, I was worried in that scene... Are they going to find some way around it? But no, that's what they should have done in both scenes. And mm-hmm. they they sort of cocked it up. The other half of the episode was kind of funny, but kind of repetitive in a Beavis and Butthead sort of way. Yeah, I think they went back to the nachos line one too many times for me. Um, but I did still enjoy it. The other thing I want to make sure, a couple of things I want to make sure to mention um, on the Barney Robin story. I loved the song at the boat. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that was great. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious and um, that they were so on the same page about it. I thought it was hilarious. And then I also thought, you know, How I Met Your Mother is one of those shows that very rarely does the just straight up dramatic moment. And so and but I do think that when they do those moments, they almost always succeed. And I think the the frozen moment with Barney at the bar at the end was very well done. Um, similarly to the few t- things that we got with Marshall and his dad last season. So I thought that mo- moment was also beautiful and well handled and we'll see what happens and hopefully it doesn't just get fixed. Yeah. I, I thought the way, I, th- I thought the concept of that scene was great, but the way NPH acted it was a little much with him sort of standing there cringing. It was, I, I thought it was slightly overdone, uh, but, I, but I did think the, the concept itself was was so resonant that you could, that you could sort of just sort of go with it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I just I'm very much hoping that it's not going to be that it can't be the gang just hanging out anymore, or at least Barney and Robin can't just be hanging out anymore because of this. I'm hoping that's what this moment was for, and what this episode was for, and that'll move forward uh, 
the 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 arcs and the character development and that it'll tie back into what uh victoria had said to uh to ted earlier in the season that it's weird that that uh barney and robin and ted all hang out together all the time and Mm -hmm. that it's hindering their growth yeah she should be the therapist Um, But that, uh, any final thoughts on How I Met Your Mother or The Week? Uh, Nope. Let's wrap it up while we're still on a roll. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break and come back and spotlight the most recent episode of Fringe and Homeland. So we'll be right back after this. Is it any wonder? That was Too Much Time on My Hands by Styx and a song that was featured rather prominently in this week's episode of Fringe, um, which was titled Those We Left Behind. What did you think of this episode? I put a review up at the website and I was fairly glowing with my praise, I would say. But uh, what did you think? Well, this episode was clearly a direct cousin of a season two episode called White Tulip, which might be just as a standalone, maybe my favorite episode of Fringe. And... This was maybe not quite as good, but it also it had a stronger connection to to sort of the major plot than than that episode did. And I think it's clearly the best that they've done this season so far. You know, while we're sort of waiting for the major arc to heat up, which it really started to do, I would say, last week and this week, you know, Fringe really depends on its freak of the week, as uh, as you might say. And it was a, a humdinger this week with uh, Stephen Root as this uh, sort of as this, I guess, scientist slash scientist's husband um, who sort of concocts a uh, primer-esque time machine. Um, I, I, this sort of hit the sweet spot for Fringe of like freakiness and sweetness and, you know, emotional heft and character beats and everything about it just felt right and i think it 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 all, it all felt right in a way that most of the season sort of hasn't so far well you mentioned steven root who i think was fantastic but for me the standout was romy rosemont playing the 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 scientist of the pair yes. she was phenomenal in this episode and apparently uh she and steven root are married in real life so who knows if that helped them p- play this couple and draw on some um some real emotions but I, they were both phenomenal in their performances, particularly her. She got, um, I think, more to play than he did, more different um, notes. But it was great. Now, for me, if it had just been two great guest stars, that it would have been a strong episode. But, of course, what makes it, um, I think, so successful is the way that their story ties into Peter's story. And then also how much of this episode was sort of a mystery, we don't see them introduced until almost the halfway point. So yeah, um, there's lots of great, you know, like one of the first things I wrote down in my notes was "Mm, intriguing. I don't know what's going on and I like it. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And everything about the way it was structured and sort of the way the revelations were sort of rolled out was felt very organic. 
Yeah, and even just technical issues of, like, the episode starts with this lovely scene of Peter and his Olivia in the park with Walter on the swings, and it's it's a dream sequence of, of Peter's, and there's some really nice performances from all involved in that scene, and then it cuts, of course, so he wakes up in his cell, and it's just some of the most rich, dark greens that I've seen on TV in quite a while. It's gorgeous cinematography. And then all of the transitions when the, when Peter is um, sort of jumping within his consciousness and within his own time stream in the episode, all of the, the technical elements of that are done really well. And, uh, and even just something like the time bubble that we see later, just having this iridescent sheen to it, it's a very simple and elegant way to to get that notion across and to, 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 to do what could be a very complicated sci-fi idea on a TV budget. So I, I like the story, I like the performances, but I also just like the technical uh, execution of this episode. Mm -hmm. Well, when they pulled that sort of switcheroo at the beginning of showing us uh, sort of Peter's dream and then his reality, you know, as you know, I'm not the biggest, I don't really care about Peter and Olivia that much. <laughs> Uh, in that sense, but that was one of the first times they've actually made me really feel for Peter. And it was such a great way to visualize what he's lost. Mm -hmm. And if, if anything, the way he handles that throughout the episode is maybe a little bit too composed, uh, particularly at the end when he's having that conversation with Olivia in his house, the house that he has sort of inherits. Uh, and she brings up, you know, the other Olivia, which just feels like salt in the wound. And they're, and if I were him, I would, you know, I would probably smack her at that point. But, <laughs> uh, but he, but he takes it sort of in stride in a way that's maybe a little unrealistic, but is also kind of endearing. I actually think that's incredibly realistic for this character, and that's why I think that Joshua Jackson was really good in this episode, and has was last week as well. It's just it's far less showy performance because it's. I think it's true to Peter's character. I mean. As tough as it is, he's never been one to show too much emotion or to let himself be vulnerable. And so as soon as he figures out, I mean, you can see some more desperation from him in his first episode back, um, or first full episode back. But as soon as he really understands that these are not the people that he knows, the walls come right back up and he's back to being kind of cocky douchey Peter from season one. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense. And I think, like you were saying, having that dream sequence at the beginning really illustrates where he's at emotionally and what he's what he's thinking because he's not going to let particularly Olivia and, and Walter and, and Broyles and these people see what he's thinking and, and just how much you know pain or just how much of a hard time he's having. So I thought that actually that worked really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm not the biggest Joshua Jackson pusher, but I thought he was quite good this week. Yeah, and it's just like like I was saying um, last week about about uh, Good Wife. It, it was just a lot of me watching the episode, going, "Oh, that was smart. That was a good way to do that." And I like how they did this. And I mean, seriously, just something as simple as the fire in that the the house. How terrifying is that concept? Mm -hmm. Oh, every, the cold open in general was just fantastic. And I think was sort of a sign you like, as soon as you see that, you know, like, yep, it's going to be one of those sort of next level episodes of fringe, sort of like the good wife uh, last week, you know, sort of the episode that you hope 
that they'll do every week and that you sort of know that they can. It's worth mentioning that this episode was directed by Brad Anderson, who does uh, quite a lot of Fringe and uh, also directed Session 9 and some other stuff. He's a, an excellent genre director, and I thought he did a fantastic job with this episode. Yeah, I thought that it was very well directed, very well written, and had some really great performances. Though I have really had a problem with their underuse of Astrid this season. She might as well not be there. And I, I think that's a shame. Well, Astrid, as much as I hate to say, has sort of always been window dressing. Which I think is interesting, considering how much they fleshed out every other character on this show. I mean, they've, you know, Nina and Broyles and Lincoln even. We know a lot more about these side characters than we do about the character who's there every week. Hey, maybe they're going to do a an Astrid, an Astrid-centric, um, well, Astrid-centric is hard to say. <laughs> Uh, finale or something that would be that would be a great twist i just have this feeling that they're gonna go uh alias on us and i will avoid the spoiler but have her be replaced by a doppelganger and turn evil and that's how they're gonna give her something to do and i really hope that's not the case um but there's just this back part of my mind is just sort of expecting that so although i although i haven't seen alias i have thought of that as well um, what did you think of the the issues with time and what I mean? Where do you think this season is going with Peter? Well, you, you know, here's where I hope they're not going. I hope it's not going for Peter yearning for the his home universe and then them gradually realizing that no, this is the right universe for you and and some sort of like tearful <gasps> sort of you know re. I, can you call it a reunion? Between Peter and Olivia? You can't, I guess. No, because it's not uh, his Olivia. No, I mean, for Peter, it's sort of a reunion, but it's just a union. Anyway, that's complicated. <laughs> um, I'm sort of hoping they don't go that route, because I did feel like the end of season three was getting into some sort of love conquers all territory that I was slightly uncomfortable with. The The easiest solution I can think of and is one that references a show that I know you either are watching or are going to watch soon, so I won't say which one, uh, or that they did on this other show very successfully, where I think it would be possible for them to somehow meld the worlds where the the people will, Peter will stay the same, and it will still be this world, but they will get the memories of the other timeline. I could see that happening, and so that way they could have their cake and eat it too, with the original, like, three seasons of the show still counting, because everybody still remembers them, but the first mm -hmm. half of the season still counting as well, because everybody remembers them too. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they have an idea of where they're going. They've earned my trust at this point, so. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the likelihood that this is their last season, I mean, very high. I wasn't even, it seems very high, so I'm, I'm hoping that they have a solid endgame in mind. I'm sure that they do. Uh, and I'm hoping it's it's not something that's going to feel like a huge contrivance. And uh, I'm also hoping that it's not going to be as uh, sort of cloying as as the as the show sometimes sort of tends to be. Well, we'll have to see where it's uh, where it's headed. On Sunday, we also had another excellent episode of Homeland. So, uh, what did you think of this week's episode? And there was a lot, there was some twists and a lot of turns that people might not have seen coming. So what did you think of those? Well, yeah, this episode was called The Weekend. Um, I think what's really interesting about this episode is it wasn't so much that what happened was surprising. It's that it happened now. So many of the revelations that we get this week, I would have expected out of a finale that there's still 
five or six episodes to go is insane. The speed with which they're progressing the the, the narrative is uh, new. I think that for for this sort of drama this year, the only thing that I can think to compare it to is secondhand, but it's what I've heard about Vampire Diaries that apparently they do a similar thing where they pack what you think would be a half a season into one episode. Um, and I did really enjoy that in this episode. I mean, like, like you, I would have expected some of these revelations, but not this early. And as soon as I saw what, you know, what, what came out this episode, the, the scenes that we got, particularly between Carrie and Brody, I, it immediately clicked in my head. Oh, that's how this has a season two. Duh. Should have seen it coming. Makes a lot of sense. So, I don't know, I thought it was a really great. I liked a lot of the um of course the performances were 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 great and all of the main cast I would say continues to do excellent work. Um the thing the that I enjoyed probably the most of the entire episode was the drunk cam when they were at the mm-hmm. cabin, which is, I thought was so much fun, but um but yeah, I absolutely agree that's definitely season finale types of stuff going down and we still have half a season to go, so I'm definitely mm-hmm. excited to see what happens. Is there a more interesting female character on TV right now than Carrie? I'm not sure. Um, I find Alicia more interesting on Good Wife. And yeah, I do think that Claire Danes is giving a hell of a performance. And she's gotten a very strong character to work with, too. Um, so I definitely hear what, you say, what you're saying about, about her being one of, if not the most interesting women on, on television right now. I'm a little confused as to what they've shown us before of Walker. Have we have we only seen Brody sort of beating the crap out of? Yes, I think that's the only bit him, we've seen. Or did we? I, I feel like we saw him bury him at some point. Um, okay, I, feel, I, I don't yeah, know what I'm, I'm imagining sure. and what we've actually seen. You no, know, that sounds familiar too. Uh, I, that's right. We did get that flashback from Brody. Yeah, where he was being forced to dig. Right, right. But, but we didn't necessarily see the actual burial. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, because. If there's one thing that bugs me, as, as and you'll know that from our discussion of the usual suspects, it's cheating. And I don't think they've actually cheated in that sense. I am really, I'm hoping that it's a plot turn that they handle gracefully, and I have every reason to believe that they will. Yeah, I thought that it was, at least just in this episode, it it, it was handled well. And the way they, at the end, the, the way they did the reveal was nice. And some of the comments on Corey's Homeland Review got into discussing this, but it it all of a sudden makes the timeline for Brody's release make a lot more sense. They didn't, they released, they held on to Brody until Walker was ready. You know, that sort of makes some other question marks, I think, disappear. Now, for me, the biggest question mark remaining then is if we know that Brody's not the mole, then how, then it, you're running out of, vic, um, out of perpetrators to have gotten the, what's his face? The, the razor blade. And that really sort of puts the impetus on Saul, I think, because, I mean, really, who else could there be? But they said Uh, that there were 11 people, um, I think they say, in this episode, or maybe the episode before, that they interviewed who had been um, alone with him. But um, I don't know. I don't think it's dramatically satisfying if it's someone that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it, it doesn't make any sense for it to be Saul's boss. Yeah, that because seems kind of like a absolutely no motive. Small beans for for the for the boss. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. That being said, I can't really think of a compelling reason for it to be Saul either. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I, so yeah, I 
again, they're outsmarting us here, I think. Um, speaking which of, is frustrating. Speaking of Saul, what did you think of the road trip that we got? I really loved those scenes. I thought they were so nice and low key. I thought, I also thought that Mandy Patinkin really rocked that hat in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just everything about that, I mean, it was sort of a familiar sequence. Uh, sort of strength throughout the episode, but it was really deftly handled. I thought the writing and acting was superb. Um, and there was, once again, this is a thing I value, no histrionics whatsoever. No, like, how could you do this to America? You know, <laughs> nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, very low-key, very satisfying. For me, the the weakest bit of the episode was probably the Brody home life uh, uh, scenes that we got, though I did actually really like what we're getting with the daughter um, what what did you think of that? I thought I, th- there was nothing offensive about those scenes. Uh, I mean, which is sometimes the best you can do when it's when you, I mean this week that stuff doesn't really fold in as nicely as it did in some other weeks. You know, Marina Baccarin sort of dealing with the fallout with Mike and her residual feelings. And, you know, it's something they have to deal with. It's not necessarily the most compelling thing they have to deal with, but it's got to be done. And they do it painlessly. And I mean, again, the level of acting and writing is high enough that they can get away with, you know, dealing with this stuff for a a relatively extended period of time. For me, and this is something that we had talked about briefly, I I walked away from this episode um, going, fie you writers and directors, because, and actors of two, of course, because the scenes that we got with Carrie and Brody were so incredibly truthful their performances i believed everything that they said but i don't know if they're telling the truth you know i don't feel <laughs> like i've all i've also believed pretty much everything they've set up to now and so you know i don't know if i'm being played or not and i don't i like being smarter than the characters and i don't think <laughs> i am on this show well and that's again going back to why i think carrie is so interesting I, I love her. Pl- I love her alcohol ploys. Like I, I love the way that she subverts the idea of in vino veritas, mm-hmm. and you know gets people to assume that because you know they're in altered states that they can be trusted. Which is just something that you usually assume. Mm-hmm. It, not, I mean, not, not not always, but you you assume that people who are who are drunk or stoned or whatever are you know closer to their feelings. Yeah, and you know. And so she exploits that and she is very canny about it. And we really don't know what to believe. I mean, I think it makes the most sense if Brody's ultimately in the clear because otherwise he's very difficult to keep on the show. And honestly, plotting out the show's future is one of the only ways I can figure out what's actually going on. Um, what did you think of the the uh, Nazis that we got this week? <laughs> Oh my god, that was amazing. I thought it was I, hilarious. And... <laughs> <laughs> that that was great. Um I and the, the, again going back to Carrie, I I love that she's a rambunctious drunk who also is, you know, is super smart and yeah. just, you know, is blessed with all this, you know, CIA and military knowledge. She's a dangerous date. Yeah, for sure. I, I that that whole scene was was great. And it's just it's it's exactly the sort of like, like courtship that they would have. Yeah. They seemed just so perfect together, and and in that scene, and then at the cabin, it was it was so nice to what Brody was saying about them to to feel them watch them both get some peace, however briefly, and 
And then you know this whole time, while this is the most peaceful and happy Carrie has seemed in the series, this whole time she also is pretty sure that he's a spy or or, or an or, you know a terrorist or something. And so it's just levels and levels. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, for, for me, my main takeaway from this episode was watching them discuss whether or not he's a spy. My jaw was just like, wow, they went there already. Yeah. And like the season finale is like ages away. <laughs> wow. And yeah, I would have never seen that coming. Yeah, I, I know that the show has producers in common with 24. It's almost like they shoved 24 episodes worth of plot into, you know, this sort of much smaller format. Yeah. And it's working, so I'm all for it, you know. As long as we don't get any cougars, I'll be happy. So it's been a, a really great season, and I just, I am on for the ride. And it's it's a different kind of ride to something like, say, Dexter or True Blood, where there's crazy reveals and, and it's moving really fast, but it's not necessarily, I mean, it's it's not that it's not a good, those aren't good shows, but they're more pulpy and campy and fun and less um serious or i don't know what the exactly the right word is but this manages to have all those crazy uh fast forwards in the plot without losing the integrity of the seriousness of the situation or the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. and i think that's impressive Mm -hmm. but it's also not as methodical and some would say maybe too methodical as something like breaking bad yeah that's true. where where some weeks sometimes to its credit and sometimes not they only inch forward the plot. I mean, I don't think there's any episodes of Homeland so far where we can, at the end of the episode, we say, well, nothing really happened there, did it? Yeah. Well, to see what hap- what's going to happen. I mean, six more episodes. We'll, we'll see. Damn. It's a lot. <laughs> Who knows Damn what Damn is be. all I have to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, so it was another good week for TV, and um, I'm looking forward to see what happens next week. Of course, the, the series are going to start... Um, having their their fall finales i know fringe has its last episode until january this coming week and that's true for several other series as well they'll be wrapping up i mean homeland is gonna continue every week until its finale in the middle of december which is nice um so we know we'll have that one but pretty soon here we're gonna get into to repeat central so it's uh i'm enjoying Mm -hmm. it while we still have all these great shows on we're also planning to potentially do some catch-up segments on shows we didn't get to talk about this year uh, especially during the sort of downtime while other shows are off. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, that's all That's all coming up. And of course, you can let us know what, sh- what shows you'd like us to catch up with. I need to catch up with Louie and Justified and Awkward. And there's a few others. Um, you, uh, which are the ones that you want to make sure you catch, with, catch up with? For me, principally, I'm going to give Boardwalk Empire another shot after being bored with it in season one. And uh, the last season of Sons of Anarchy, uh, the, rather the season that's airing now, I keep hearing is amazing which would be great because season three was a disappointment and I need to watch awkward as well. So, so if there are other shows that, um, that we haven't talked about on here that you would be curious, uh, our opinions on, or that we should try to catch up with, you can of course leave comments on, on the blog. We'll have a post up for this episode and you can email us the televerse at gmail.com or we're both on Twitter. I'm at the televerse. You are at sucker Howell. And then, of course, we would like to get some more iTunes ratings. So, of course, thank you very much to Mario and Jean-Pierre. But if there's anybody else who wants to, we'd love to get, you know, more ratings. It does help us because we are still such a a young podcast. It helps other people find us um, on iTunes more easily if Mm -hmm. if we have ratings. So that's always... Reviews are good, too. Reviews. Sorry. Reviews and ratings. 
Um, of course, uh, as I keep forgetting to mention, our, our fabulous intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. And, uh, oh, and then of course, uh, coming up next, we forgot to, to mention this at the top, but we are going to have a DVD shelf segment on Firefly with uh, Sound Outside's own Justine Smith. So that was a lot of fun. And another in-person interview. And of course, you know me, I'm such a weed knight. I had a lot of fun talking about it, but it, I, I got the impression you did too. Yep, I did. And, spoiler alert, somebody's been watching Angel. Yeah, yeah. Of his own volition, uh, too. Uh, yeah, that's right, uh, that's right. Uh, He's uh, a convert. Well, we, it's, it's, it is ultimately for a DVD shelves. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. That's excellent justification. <laughs> mm, but, yeah. uh, I will, I'll leave you alone about it. I know you don't like admitting your yeah. uh, fandom. So we're going to take a quick break here and listen to a clip and some music from Firefly, and we'll be back with our DVD shelf segment. So what am I looking at? It's a transport ship. Firefly class. They still make those? Illegal salvage. Low-life vultures picking the flesh off the dead. Should we deploy gunships and bring her in? Do it. Cry, baby, cry. Make your mother sigh. Engaging the crybaby. Captain, I am picking up a distress signal 13 clicks ahead from a... Sounds like a personnel carrier. Definitely a big ship, sir. And she's without power. Wash, we're on, go! Hang on, travelers. Let's moon them. They're rabbiting, sir. Should we continue deployment? Yeah, gunships would never get back to us in time. All right, let's go help these people. But put out a bulletin on the cortex and flag Interpol. A firefly with possible stolen goods on board. Maybe somebody will step on those roaches. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Take me out to the black. Tell them I ain't coming back Burn the land and boil the sea You can't take the sky from me Welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik with Simon Howell, as ever. Howdy. And we are joined this week at the DVD shelf by Justine Smith from Sound on Sight, who will be joining us to talk Firefly. Welcome. Hi, and thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So why did you choose Firefly to be your DVD shelf? Um, because I think Simon told me Buffy was taken. It was. <laughs> we did We did that already. Pay I attention know. now. That's why. Um, I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan. I love Firefly. Uh, it's one of those rare shows I think I watched in just a couple of days because I can do that. <laughs> because it's kind of a double blessing because the show is so short. Cut short. Mm -hmm. It's really tragic. Um, but it's really one of Joss Whedon's best work. And I think if you haven't seen it, you should. So why not talk about it? It's a great pick. And it's one that is going to be kind of hard for me to talk about because I am such a huge Firefly uh, fangirl. Or brown coat, I believe, is the accepted terminology. Yes, it is. Um, now, Simon, you <laughs> dragged your feet into Buffy. And I had only seen Dr. Horrible before that. This is your third experience in the Whedonverse? Of my progressive Whedonization. <laughs> I just, I feel my testosterone levels dropping every day. 
It's it's really it's hard. Um, Firefly is interesting. I mean, I think. Did you watch the show live? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think, and it's funny because you and I have discussed Terriers, which is another sort of one season wonder. Although, of course, Firefly got itself a movie, which I'm sure we'll have occasion to talk about. And I feel like you, there's so much emotion cut up in a one season series if you were passionate about it and you're watching it at the time. Yeah. Because you ha- you go through all those emotions of you know being obsessive about ratings and thinking about oh well, well here's why the network is dumb and why they should keep it and why they shouldn't even be thinking about canceling it. And then, of course, the moment of cancellation. I bet you remember where you were when you found out Firefly was canceled. Actually, no. I was. I barely had dipped my toe in the internet, into the internet. Oh, there, oh yeah. When, I guess it was a different time. That's yeah. true. But I, I definitely remember I was writing for my school, uh, high school newspaper. At the time, I was the TV person <laughs> very, very briefly. And I just wrote, I feel like I managed to a Firefly reference into every article I wrote that fall trying to get people to watch it. And I'm sure nobody did. No, nobody I knew at school watched it. So, I mean, it, I feel like while there is that certain attachment that 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 you get to a show if you are one of the people trying to evangelize for it while it's still on, I know a lot of people have this about Arrested Development as well and, and Freaks and Geeks and many of these short-lived fantastic series. Um, but for Firefly, and also assuming it comes out on DVD at some point, Terriers, I'm sure will be the same. Yeah, don't don't hold your breath on that one. It, but it's it's one of those things where I, I've through various means gotten at least fifty people to try out this show, and I've had two people not like it, and the people and they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is not it's not for everyone, I would say, but but for the most part, people who have tried out Firefly really get attached to it and, and really like the characters and feel a sense of ownership of it, especially back before Serenity came out. There was this sort of this, and it grew, it grew on the internet to this sense of why would anybody cancel this show? It's the best show ever. And it's one of those things where Joss Whedon, not everybody may like his his work, but he creates fanboys. He creates people who love a series. He's not so interested in getting everyone to like it. He would rather find fewer people who love it, and I feel like that... Which is not exactly, exactly something that, you know, network executives were <laughs> yeah. all that keen on at the time, or yeah. even now, really. Or probably ever will be. Yeah. yeah. Now, what do you... I mean, I, I really do think, as much as I love this series, that it is not a show for everyone, because um, I, I usually describe it as Cowboys in Space to people. I try not to describe it. If they push me, I end up with Cowboys in Space, because... I feel like it pretty much just is a Western, but there's spaceships. What do you guys think? Um, I totally agree with you, and I actually think I watch tons of Westerns. I'm a huge <laughs> Western fan. Watching the show with that in mind, you have this idea of this huge war that preceded it, and these are the quote-unquote losers, and that's a theme in so many Westerns. The Confederate soldiers are the favorite protagonist of classic Hollywood Westerns. And um, I don't really... I think this is... As with a lot of Joss Whedon's work, uh, he's more interested in the classic model rather than the revisionist. As strange as that may be, he's always bringing things to new levels. I mean, Cowboys in Space, that's how people describe Star Wars when it came out. But this is a different entity entirely from that, as well as from Westerns and other science fiction. Same with Buffy. It's, um, It's a show about vampires or vampire killers, but done in a way that's at once extremely classic and totally new. And if you 
like I'm as again I just I, we were watching Serenity yesterday and I'm thinking of the character Mal and I'm comparing him to characters like John Wayne and the Searchers who are angry angry people in a way um, searching for family searching for hope and searching for I, I suppose confirmation that their ideals are correct yeah in a society that has deemed them wrong or deemed them losers and um, I think that Joss Whedon has translated these ideas that seemed old-fashioned in a new exciting way even just in the aesthetics of the show in terms of the theme song and the scoring and also the use of firearms that are you know fairly that they they resurrect as many um, western images as they possibly can given that it's got a space setting i mean you've even got cattle and horses showing up which i mean there's no reason they can't but you know they're doing it on uh, for a very deliberate purpose and actually and when we talk about you know precedents for the mal nathan fillion's character i mean you already mentioned star wars and clearly harrison ford han solo is in there as well although mm -hmm. Although Mal is is a slightly different, well, I was going to say less wisecracking, but that's not true at all. But <laughs> but s s somewhat more uh, sinister in some ways. I think he's more conflicted. Yeah, maybe that's it. Or volatile. There's more. I think he's a character that has a potential to do something very. I don't want to say evil. That's the wrong word. He has the potential to do something wrong he in seems... a way that would hurt the audience and the people he loves. He seems more damaged. Yeah. yeah. You, you kind of feel like maybe after five seasons of television, he could end up as Han Solo after he's worked out all his issues. Yeah. I can, maybe. I um, you talked briefly about the theme song and I know that you had some, uh, you weren't sure where you fell down on, on the theme song, uh, Simon. Um, for me, I'm a big fan of, I like the theme song, which was written um, and composed by Joss Whedon, but I, I'm a big fan of the music in the series. I think it does a great job of blending this aesthetic um, of the Western, but with the strong Asian influence as well. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for you know soundtracks like you know Magnificent Seven Eight, those old Western open strings, wide open spaces, sort of a, a sound with the, the parallel fifths and such. Uh, but I, I really enjoy how he blends, particularly uh, Greg Edmondson, the composer that is blends. Um, a lot of he uses a lot of uh, Asian instrumentation um, with and in, in different like modalities in with that fiddle kind of sounding and, and picking guitars and all of that. Do you have, sorry? Is it just me? <laughs> well, I'm I'm not a huge music person like either of you. Um, I can't talk about it in that way. I do like the theme song. I think it works with the series. Um, I unfortunately don't remember my initial reaction. I know my sister dislikes it, and she loves the series. She watched the whole thing and still does not like the uh, theme song or the credits. So have that what you will. She doesn't know anything about music either, though. And she's apparently a nerd. She is totally a nerd. You can tell her I said so. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but going back to this idea of Firefly as, as one season wonder, I think my viewing experience was was. Uh, quite strange because I, I felt first of all whenever I was watching it I, I could feel like you were behind me <laughs> watching me watch it I and, did keep pestering you via and Twitter and anticipating. Skype <laughs> don't you love it don't you love it I, I specifically did not do that <laughs> yeah, though I was no, but aware I, but I could I, see you even just over the just text not, format just restraining yourself that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're reading between the lines yeah basically or over the lines and the thing is I do I, I think it's a very I think it's a strong series I do enjoy it but it does have that nagging sense of incompleteness. It does. And I, I'm not sure the movie resolves that. 
I the movie feel is is good for what it is. It's nice to see the characters again, but it feels so neat. And I think it almost emphasizes how incomplete the series is because you watch the film and it does it is like two or three seasons worth of writing and it feels that way. And you look at that and you're like, there was so much potential. And in a TV format, it would have been explored in, I think, a much better light. And it just it hurts. Yeah, because it does. You know, they do things in the film that I think would have had more impact over the course of. You know, an extended period of because of the plot. series already does such a good do- job in its kind of shortened form at making you really care for these characters, and I think Joss Whedon really excels in the TV atmosphere because he's good at taking little moments um, and making them well, building on them until you have a more complete character or someone changing or not changing in ways that feel very authentic. That's actually that reminds me to geek out here for a moment, that reminds me strongly of a Buffy quote from the end of season two when Whistler is talking while we see Drew Lilla being, spoiler alert, killing Kendra. Whistler is talking about uh, the the big moments always happen, but it's the little moments afterwards that really shape, shape who you are. And I feel like that's something that Joss Whedon loves to explore and to look at. And I think it's one of his strengths. You're absolutely right. The the smaller moments that you are able to spend more time on in a series that get sort of lost or can get lost in in the structure of a film. Yeah, I think that's what... The, for me, I'm not a huge TV buff like either of you, um, but uh, that's what I like about TV series. It's, it is the small scenes that seem inconsequential and in a film would not necessarily work mm-hmm. because for a lot of cinema every scene has to have an express purpose within the content or within the structure form of the film in tv the form is so wide that a moment that would seem insignificant in a film gains significance in a television series where you're building on so much more information and so many more interactions and so many more moments that are quote-unquote insignificant because that's more i don't want to say more real but it's the way the format works. It's like a novel. Like mm-hmm. I think TV series is like a very long novel, yeah. And a uh, film tends to be more like a short story. Which yeah. which has me wondering how these this sort of line of film projects he's got coming are going to turn out. I hope well because I I love Joss and <laughs> he's I think he has a lot of passion and clearly very talented and knowledgeable of what he does. I'm sad he never got to do the Wonder Woman film. Yeah, I would love to see his Wonder Woman, especially after saying that terrible atrocity of a pilot that oh poor adrian palicki because she i think she would be a great wonder woman i think that's that she's an ex- excellent actress but that is oh man sorry i didn't tangent. watch it sorry no it's just yeah no don't his <laughs> ideas he wanted to do it um as a retro throwback like set it in the 1960s or mm-hmm. i think the 60s and the uh, studio said we will only let you do it if you do it right now and he said well that doesn't quite make sense with my vision of who Wonder Woman is, and so it just never worked out. Yeah. But considering how well I think Joss Whedon writes women, yeah. um, he does fantasy extremely well, which I think is very rare. I don't know if there's a working television personality or filmmaker who who quite matches up, actually, right now, unless you guys can think of someone who's even in the same league, but I can't. For fantasy, I mean, I always go to George R. R. Martin, who's who's... Uh, Game of Thrones or Fire, Song of Fire I don't watch series. That, so. it, well, his his book series is incredibly well done and very nuanced. But uh, yeah, I, I it's 
when we're, we're recording this right after Halloween, and for me as a geek girl, trying to come up with Halloween costumes uh, that are TV or film related becomes difficult because so many of them are women barely dressed in, you know, like cat suits and such. And, and when you're trying to think of a list of who could I be, who could I dress up as from a geek TV show, honestly, I, I, last year I was Kaylee. And, and the Joss Whedon characters are interesting, dynamic characters, not defined by their their sexuality or the way they dress, and that quickly you quickly run out of them. It's kind of you know, it's kind of a, a sad statement maybe about the writing for women in a lot of geek literature and 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 film and TV. So I do think that's an excellent point. And maybe that's a good segue to maybe talk more specifically about the characters, yeah. since we haven't really done that yet. Well, you were saying, you know, how how quickly he Joss Whedon makes you care about these characters, and that immediately made me think of the the pilot. You know, by the midpoint or you know two thirds of the way through the pilot, when Kaylee gets shot. Now, having watched Buffy before, I was like, he could totally kill her. He might kill her. And I really had this very strong connection with her already after, what, half of an episode? And I think that's, you know, great writing to to make you care like that. Now, pretty much everybody I talk to about this show has a different favorite character, which is another, I think, indication of the strength of the writing. Now, who who do you guys, what do you think who are your favorite characters? Well, that that's a tricky question because when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, well... You know who's my favorite character based on what I've seen. Who's my favorite character based on what I would like to have seen out of them. I think my potential favorite character is probably Jane, because I'd be really curious to see where they take that character over time. Because you know, every once in a while they'll hint at something other than just sort of broad comic relief, which is what he is most of the time. And Adam Baldwin's very good at that. Um, and I was I was you know really curious to see what they were doing with him. And also he also seemed like a, a character they'd be fairly unlikely to kill off. Um, yeah. with, with any rapidity because he's just such a charismatic performer. Uh, in terms of what's there, I mean, it's hard to deny that Kaylee's a very magnetic character. Yeah. What do you think? I am totally on the same boat of Simon in both senses. Um, Kaylee's probably my favorite character on the show. Jane comes very close for the fact that there is so much hinting at to who he is. And you never get that. Not even in Serenity, the movie, really. There's a couple of episodes where they go into that world. But he seems to have the most potential. I don't know if that's Adam Baldwin, who is an incredible actor. Mm-hmm. Um, or Joss Whedon, or both. I don't know. It's just... I love all the characters, actually. There's no one who really stands out as kind of disposable. Which, yeah. even on Buffy, there are a few characters that I could have done without. Mm-hmm. Um but they they eventually did. So. Well, although the the movie kind of exposes that uh, River and is it Simon? Is it, sorry, Simon. Wow, how did I forget his name? <laughs> yep. Like <laughs> I, I think the movie sort of exposes the fact that you know there's a moment where it seems like maybe we'll lose Simon, and it exposes the fact that I mean he's mostly important as someone who it, like, Simon and River are kind of a combo package Mm -hmm. and if you lost one of them you know you kind of get or if you lost simon but still had river i think the show could probably survive reasonably well yeah he 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 helps in that if nothing else in his function most of the people on the show have a function that makes yeah yeah, he's the medic he's he's the doctor washes the pilot uh i mean maybe i guess you could not have zoe but i think she actually is uh, she'll serve a strong purpose as glue to yeah. make that 
crew come together. She brings Wash to around to to Mal and is a nice backup person when Jane could easily go for the money. And I like that that's actually a possibility. I also think that um, for Mal, Mal, it, again, we've discussed this already, he's damaged, volatile. She seems so much more put together and stronger, and they have the same background. Mm-hmm. I think she's a, the only voice in the show that he will actually listen to without kind of any reason. He will almost always take her word and take her emotional reaction over his own because mm-hmm. he trusts her probably more than anyone else in this show. There is one aspect of this show that I think is a little weak compared to Buffy, which is the only Whedon show I've seen, and that's the area of villainy. And maybe you'll disagree, but I mean, we do. You do have the you know the the Reavers who appear multiple times, and they're they're a little on the unnerving side, uh, especially the the makeup on them is quite good. But they're they're sort of just like a primal force. They're not really like a like an intellectual. Um, well, they're like being. on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They would be the equivalent of the regular vampires, not the big yeah. bad vampires. Yeah, uh, yeah, or the berserkers, or whatever you want to call Uber them. Vamps. The Uber vamps that show up very near the end, which I'm not even sure you got that far, Justine. Um, you know, we, we you have a couple of slightly recurring villains. The um, the uh, two by we... two hands of blue. Sorry, two by two hands of blue, blue hands guys. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and um and the the war criminal type who does who likes to torture who shows up in two oh, episodes Nishka. Nishka that's it um and you also get Chiwetel Ejiofor in the movie and I just don't feel like any of them are really as memorable as some, as some of the better or even necessarily as menacing yeah this they, they, you never feel quite like they're they're a match well and this series while Buffy and Angel, I would say, to, as well, are very much structured around the good guys trying to save the world and beat back the bad guys. This show is much more interested in just getting by. Yeah. In just barely scraping by, which is what they're doing for for the entire series, you know. And it's much more serial in that, in that or sorry, much more standalone in that way. Um, and I, I think that was something that, that Whedon wanted to explore. I know that he created this show came up with the concept for it after reading oh i'm gonna get this wrong battlefield angels uh something like that it is a it's a novel about the civil war and the reconstruction um i feel like i got that wrong anyways uh and very interested in the just the concept of and he felt the 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 concept was very relatable just because the average person is just trying to get by and it's something that i think people can relate to in this economy but it definitely a side effect of that means that you don't have these particularly compelling villains. I think the Blue Sun group would have come into play a hell of a lot more in if the show had continued. And, yeah. I mean, it's laced throughout the series. There's Blue Sun in every single episode somewhere. Um, but, yeah, looking at what we actually have, I think that's an accurate criticism. Yeah, and I, I think that's, again, something that we would have seen with more time, but we're uh, never going to get it. So Yeah. Um, We've we've spoken about our favorite characters. I want to talk for a moment about the cast because I think this is one of the shows, along with, I would say, The Sopranos and The Shield, where the cast gelled so incredibly quickly and mm-hmm. sort of just fit as a group. You know, like sometimes when you're watching some of these series, it's it's pretty easy for characters to stand out or like one person doesn't quite, it takes a while for them to decide what they're going to do with them. Like it makes me think of Parks and Rec where it took them like about a season to figure out who Leslie Nope actually was. Um, and Chris Pratt as well. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, so what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. There's really no... I mean, it, it it takes a little while. It takes a few episodes for us to figure out how some of the roles work exactly, especially with uh, Shepard and I would say Inara. That takes a little while, um, but that's really that's that's by design. It's not by fault of any kind. And rewashing it, it makes sense. Yeah, it's um no, I agree completely. And um, in general, I I've said it already, but Joss Whedon is quite good at casting people mm-hmm. who not only uh, work within the role but work within with the other people. Yeah. And I think that's important. And in general, I think that's the most underrated part of casting. In film, theater, television, you can't just cast someone who's good at what they at that role. You have to cast someone who works with the other actors you have, who works with the. It's not even just the actors. You have to work with the directors, the creator. It all has to come together, and that's so many different factors. And this is an exceptional example. Well, and then of course they didn't in, initially cast Miranda Backer in as Anara. Rebecca Gayhart was cast, and they filmed part of the pilot with her, and he knew he had to recast. And I've, I've enjoyed her. I particularly enjoyed her on uh, Dead Like Me, but I can't imagine anybody else playing Inara. So. Well, he also did that. There's the unofficial Buffy pilot with oh. another Willow. I don't know if you've seen yeah. that. No, and then, of course, Stephen Tobolowsky as uh, Flutie as well. I don't remember that part. I just remember the weird bu- the weird Willow, which did not work. <laughs> <laughs> did they ever bring her on for any other reason? I don't think so. She was actually... I don't want to. I don't know if she's an aspiring actress still, but she's quite terrible. <laughs> well, if she's still aspiring after all that time, maybe it's no. Time she to was. It, it was. It's, it was a very bad miscast, especially after you see Allison Hannigan in the role. It was a. Very, it was a very different take on the character, and one they, that I don't think worked with what Joss Whedon's aesthetic yeah. is. And that's why they. That's why they recast her, and and luckily they did because Allison Hannigan is great, and luckily they did again because. Uh, here because Marina Baccarin is fabulous. I mean, it's hard for me to separate one of these characters. When I was watching, going through and watching some uh, cop shows for an article I did, I, I watched some um, Barney Miller and Ron Glass is, of course, on that as a completely mm-hmm. different character. And then so then after having watched him as Shepard Book on Firefly to go back and see him on Barney Miller was just so much fun. I, I think each of these characters, I guess maybe I would have Ellen Tudyk as a particular standout. I think he's hilarious and everything mm-hmm. ever ever and yeah he, and he gets a lot of thankless work and um this is thankfully not one of those no i think times. um among a lot of people he's a kind of one of a fan favorite mm-hmm. um in a, 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 what we've already established is a very amazing cast of both actors and characters i know so many people who more than any other character i think he's tends to stand out as a favorite he's yeah. lovable quiet but nerdy i think he's just great i love him well, and then to spoiler alert, in case anyone hasn't seen the movie, turn off the podcast. We'll see you next week. Um, I think that's a good way to transition into talking about the movie because I know a lot of people who walked out angry, like vehemently angry after seeing Serenity the first time because of, you know, what happens with Wash. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's such a Whedon move, though. I mean, you, you do, did you really think that if he was going to get more story time, he wasn't going to kill some people? Well, that's the thing. He lulls you into security by killing Book. So Sh- Shepard Book dies, and you're sad. But, you feel, oh, okay, of course, he's Joss Whedon. Of course, he's going to kill somebody. And then lands through the chest. <laughs> a really awful death. It's such a, it's a, and in what we've already established, Whedon kills people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think that makes the series, they kind of, I, they say this in film spotting, the high stakes. It yeah. has the stakes, right? Absolutely. Because any character can die. We know this from Buffy. Anyone can die. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. Um, and I think on Firefly, they probably wouldn't. No, and, not yeah. without a damn good reason. Other than in a memory or a flashback. Or yeah. hologram. Or hologram. Hologram, yeah. Spa- space is handy space that hologram. way. Lots of holograms. Well, and what that moment does, besides giving us a great moment for Wash and a, night, a great moment for Zoe, I think, is it makes... At, when I, I remember watching that film thinking, holy crap, he's going to kill everybody. He's going to kill every single one of those characters because at towards the end, Zoe has a slash up her spine. Uh, Kaylee has arrow, you know, darts in her neck. Simon's been shot in the gut. I mean, <laughs> well, and did you not did you not notice at least on your first watch through the series that I think in the at least in the first four episodes someone gets injured, like seriously injured. Pretty and much. Usually, day. it's a different character too. Like yeah. in like the first four episodes, someone gets shot, someone gets stabbed. Someone gets, you know, <laughs> horrible things happen to these characters all the time. Yeah. And it's realistic considering the kind of world they live in. Yes. And I think even great TV now, there isn't necessarily that idea that basically anyone can and will die. Well, and it's, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the difficulties of, you know, contracts and television, you know. It's, yeah, I know for sure. Yeah. It's, television it's, it's a is very a strange specifically, format. It's a very specifically a television problem. And even on The Walking Dead, like, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. we see people who are on the regular cast list and then the guest <laughs> cast list, and it's sort of a hint, yeah. if you're paying attention, like, that. that's why we keep saying we're, we're looking at the T-Dog countdown clock to his imminent demise. <laughs> um, now, we're almost out of time. Before we finish, I wanted to go around and have you, ask you guys your favorite episodes, because I think there's, there's not really a bad one in the bunch, as far as I'm concerned, but I thought that would be interesting. And then any final thoughts that you guys have? So, Justine? I'm really bad with episode names. I'm not well, a TV you can say person. What it is, I can tell you the episode names. Um, I like that early episode where they go to the dance. Oh, that's Shindig, that's, written like, by Jane Espenson. It's like one of the first episodes, right? Like, yeah. That one, I think, that was the one that won me over completely on the series. So I'll go for that. Yeah. I don't really have any other shop thoughts. Just go watch it, please. <laughs> um, I kind of want to go watch it again. I might do that when I get home. <laughs> so Firefly is an amazing show. Uh, my vote goes to Out of Gas. Mm-hmm. Which That's is Tim uh, which is a nice dark episode, and it's you know, another example, like with the film of it, Joss Whedon does a very good job of making things seem uh, impossibly imperiled until they aren't. Um, you know, and if, if you're really thinking about it, you can see the strings, but it's you shouldn't. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good hour of TV. Um, for me. I guess right uh, the the show won me over watching the the first episode to actually air was and we're not going to get into all the the bullshit with how Fox aired it completely out of order but the first episode to air was the, actually the second episode the train job and the show won me over when Mal kicks the guy through the engine I was like <laughs> I wasn't quite sure but I this is a show for me this is a show I will like um the the go-to favorite episode for me is um, our Mrs. Reynolds, which was the one of the yes. ones that Joss wrote. Yeah. That one is one of my favorites too. Featuring, of course, Christina Hendricks before she was on Mad Men as y- Yosef Fridge or uh, Saffron. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, lots of people have Jamestown as a favorite, you know? Yeah. And it was written his, by Ben Edlund, the creator of The Tick. And his, it, just Jane's scene at the end of that episode is just so perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then I, I guess the other one I'll, I'll go to is Objects in Space, because I, I really enjoy that one. A great guest performance from Richard Brooks as Jubal Early. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, Jane's hat. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Yeah, he'll be in his bunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, the I guess the only other thing I would mention is that I, I love the, the set design and the costumes, and I want to give a shout-out to Shauna Trepchik, who created the costume. So it's a lot of it's, – it's a good stuff. So, yeah, I guess just people should go check out Firefly. Every now and again it goes on sale for, like, 20 bucks U.S. Mm-hmm. At, at Target and other places. So if you see it, just pick it up it'll, and trust us it'll be yeah. worth it. Understand that I can't actually recommend it to you because that would be – Condoning the weedization, the weedonization of the population. They would take away your man card. They would. See, so, see we're gonna actually be doing Angel on the DVD shelf coming up here, so he's gonna have to watch Angel. And I don't know if we're gonna do Dollhouse or not, but seriously, you're gonna have to stop fighting it because you are a Whedon fan now. Uh, Whether am or not I? You li- yes, because and you now, like it. You like his thing. We have proof. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, on that on that entertaining note, uh, Justine, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Red Room Rantings, and you could also find me on Sound on Site. So people should go check check that out, and uh, and yeah, and post comments to our our uh, to our post about this episode, and let us know your favorite Firefly characters and and episodes because. I'm always looking to talk more. Yes, and she will um, talk if you at write you, yes. fan fiction, I want that too. Okay. Well, there's there's a lot of it out there. I know, but there's not enough. Justine, do you want to hear about my slash fiction? Uh, for what show? It's actually just sound on site slash fiction. <laughs> no, thank you. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Have a great week. They introduce this new intern character who's from the South and says things like, on the straight and narrow, and, uh, oh, I gotta, I gotta not do that, sorry. Who says, (laughs) (laughs) 